Journey to Organization, episode 132. Getting your taxes in order with Josefa Huber. You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman. Advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind. Welcome to Journey to Organization. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Begone Personal Organization, and today I'm talking with Josefa Huber all about taxes. It's totally crazy to think that in these crazy times of lockdowns and quarantines, we still have to get our taxes done. But you know the expression, there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes, and so we must get our taxes done. Tax season comes regardless of if we are ready for it or not, but this year, I bet you many of us are not ready. Nevertheless, we should be focusing on getting ready for this tax season, and so I've invited Josefa Huber to join us. Josefa has a BA in accounting and graduated summa cum laude from Florida Atlantic University. She is a US CPA specializing in individual taxation of US expats, citizens living abroad, and non-citizens with US reporting requirements. She is experienced in multiple year filings under the IRS Voluntary Disclosure Program for US residents and non-residents. Welcome, Yosefa. Hey, thank you for having me. I am so glad you're here. We have been trying to do this for a long time, and I'm <laughs> glad we finally got to do this. Yes. Um, so let's just dive right in because I know everybody is like feeling a little tense about taxes. So let's first talk about why you should file taxes from previously unfiled years. Yeah, so there's a lot of options for people who are not up to date on their taxes. And it is important. Uh, A lot of people, you know, I'll have people that are late with their taxes and they'll tell me like, oh, I'll I'll just do it next year. Doesn't (laughs) work that way. (laughs) It's not how it works. There are due dates for tax returns, but if you miss the due date, you still have to file a tax return. Not only that, and and I don't want to get too technical, but there's something called a statute of limitations. I'm sure you, most of your listeners have heard of that term with various criminal things. Um, (laughs) But uh, there's a statute of limitations on your tax return. And the statute of limitations generally for most things is three years. So if you file a tax return, you do your best, you, you know, you, you, do your best to file everything you're supposed to be filing. The statute of limitations is three years from when you file it or the due date. And that's actually really important to know from a document, um, a document saving perspective also. Generally, um, once three years has passed, if you've actually filed, it's really unlikely anybody's going to look back at that tax return. Okay. However, if you don't file at all, there's no statute of limitations. So you want to file and get that statute of limitations running. So if, if somebody is more than three years behind, there's uh, there are some specific options for them. Um, but in general, you don't get out of it. <laughs> you know, right. even when you die, you don't you can't get out of it, uh, and it'll eventually catch up with you. If somebody goes to transfer you money, your bank account's going to ask for proof that you're all cut up to date and all your taxes in all of your you know countries that are relevant. So eventually, it catches up with people, and it's okay. better to take care of uh, before before your your pressure before it's urgent urgent okay all right good to know this is a particularly good time of year to catch up on back taxes especially this year because most people uh especially people living abroad they're they're not getting their current year information yet all of that information is really late Um, but most accountants are still working so we should be taking care of your back taxes now even if we don't have enough information to take care of a lot of our, our clients current taxes Interesting. So is that happening because of coronavirus issues or it's just happening? Absolutely. 
Okay. No, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, the U.S. is uh, the U.S. has extended certain deadlines. Um, I, I recommend people keep up with their their personal accountants to clarify how those deadlines uh, and extensions actually affect you. Um, okay. They're not quite as broad as I think a lot of people think, but in general, uh, theoretically, you have until July fifteenth to file and pay. From from what we understand. Okay. Um, just be careful because that's that doesn't extend all certain reports. Okay. Um, like FBAR? But, uh, exactly. Well, okay. uh, FBAR is already up some more time, but there's some, if somebody has a, a company, foreign company and, and certain other foreign reporting, um, but a, a jurisdictions throughout the world are also extending their deadlines. So for example, for people in Israel, they're not getting all of their income statements that they need to give their, to give to their U.S. accountant. Uh-huh. Um, so it's really delaying everything. Got it. Okay. All right. Is there any other things we should know about specifically filing taxes for this coming year? Uh, I think because there's going to be so many delays, if you do have your information, it's a really good idea to give it to your accountant, even if it might not seem like a priority to you right now. Um, most accountants that I know are still working. Uh, we're, we're not only we're we're busy not only, um, you know, explaining a lot of these coronavirus uh, aspects to people, um, but we're busy because a lot of the accountants can still work. Okay, so if people send their accountants their paperwork now, even if it's not complete, that's better than waiting until later to send everything all together, correct? Um, I don't want to say that. I think it really depends on your personal accountant. Okay. I think it's really good to open communication and find out how they like to do things. Uh, okay. If you are going to send a lot of things piecemeal and your accountant doesn't like that, uh, that could potentially affect your fees in the future. Uh, okay. Personally, I use a secure portal. So I request everything I'm going to need from a client. They can upload whatever they have whenever they have it. And it's very clear to both of us what's still missing. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, great. So, so I'm, I'm happy definitely to check in with your accountant and see what they prefer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, okay. I prefer to get whatever information people have whenever right. they have it. So why is having an accountant better than DIYing it with a computer software? Uh, so it really depends on your personal situation, a lot of it. Um, but first of all, an accountant can offer a lot of services that you may need beyond just doing your taxes. Uh, okay. For example, I'm reminding my clients when to do their taxes. I'm not just doing their taxes. Right. Um, and a lot of people need that. And, and there are people who hire me just because they know that, that I'm giving them that peace of mind that I will bug them. You know, not, not okay. all accountants do that. Not all accountants want to do that. Um, but that is something that, that I've kind of taken on. I know that it's not my client's first response, first, first, uh, you know, it's never making it to their top priority. There's always something, you know, I'm, a lot of my clients are busy moms and busy busy employees and have business of their own and taxes are rarely making it to the top of their list. Um, you know, with people that have trouble finding time to shower, you know, right. you know how it is and laundry <laughs> and the laundry never stops. So, so that's one thing, you know, I can, I can remind them. I remind my clients, Hey, you know, why don't you write down the high certain, these are certain things for, for expats, um, write down the highest balance in your tax return from January through today. I'll save it for you. And then, when it comes time to do your FBAR, the, the report of foreign financial accounts, you will only have to go back through the last few months. So some or certain things like that, your accountant may help you um, sort of just keep on top of things mm-hmm. and answer questions. Okay. I think the bottom line with having an accountant at many levels is you're, you're comparing the, um, the cost of the accountant versus how much it could potentially cost you if you do things wrong. So for somebody who's living in the U.S. and has a single 
employer and they get their W-2 and they put in their W-2 to their, you know, some tax software that doesn't cost much money or is free or supposedly free. That's, you know, that may be just fine. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but pretty much for anybody who lives abroad, it's more complicated than they think. And, okay. and even within that, if somebody can't afford an accountant, they, you know, they're weighing the risk. How much money are they losing because they're not getting the full refund they should be getting? Or, you know, how much could it cost them if they make a mistake on their tax return and, and um, the IRS comes after them? And when you're dealing with expat stuff, all of those risks just way up. It just gets a lot more complicated. Right. It's true. <laughs> I once, uh, I once had, I once uh, had, did a filing and I put uh, that my parents' address down as, uh, you know, we had registered our address. Oh, and this is important. When you are an expat, you should register your international address with the IRS. And we had done that, but we had had some sort of issue with one of our tax returns. And I wanted all the mail to go to my parents just in case there was an issue that they would deal with it. So I put our return address as my parents address mm -hmm. in the state of Maryland. And then all of a sudden the state of Maryland sends us a letter and they're like, you owe us taxes. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, the, the mail here is terrible. It's yeah. not so bad. It's not a terrible idea to use, use a U.S. address as a mailing address, but uh, a professional accountant is going to know a lot about the risks. Like, for example, I'm not likely to use, if my, if my client wants to use a U.S. mailing address, one of the things I'm going to ask is what state. And if they're in New York, Maryland, Virginia, some of these states, you know, I'm going to warn them. If you use that address, you might get a letter saying you owe tax. We can deal with it. It doesn't mean you owe tax, but you're going right. to get a letter. Yeah. and But it's like scary because, you know, you get this it letter is. and it's like, what? It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and you're like panic for a minute. Absolutely. And that's another thing that, that you may get through from a professional account. There's something about IRS letters. I don't know if it's the font they're written in. People don't read them. They generally just send it to me and say, oh, my God, I got a scary letter from the IRS. And they don't even read the first sentence. And if you're the kind of person that does that, that's okay. Just make sure you have an accountant that, that can handle that. And I, I don't mind. You know, I, <laughs> I know that I, I want to give my clients peace of mind. And if my clients want to send me every single piece of mail they get from the IRS, that's okay with me. I have a business WhatsApp. I'm happy to calm them down with whatever letters they get. Okay. So what should we look for when we're choosing an accountant? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that's really important to me. Um, so obviously budget is, is an issue for many, many people. So you're always looking for um, what services you need and what you can afford. Okay. So, um, so you, you want to think about what you want in an accountant. Do you want, what's most important to you? Do you want the cheapest accountant out there? There are some perfectly decent options as long as they are, you know, a U.S. certified public accountant or EA, which stands for enrolled agent. Those are both excellent designations. Uh, at the minimum, minimum, you want to make sure whoever is preparing your taxes has what's called a PTIN, P-T-I-N. And you can look that up on the IRS website. And that does not say that they, that's absolutely no credentials at all. They don't have to pass any test or pay any money to get that credential. It's just registering with the IRS. And that is the absolute bare minimum. Um, so if you are looking for a budget, super budget accountant, at minimum, please make sure they have a PTIN. If you're paying someone to do your taxes and the bottom of your, your, tax return does not have your preparer's name on it. It's a self-prepared. That's really, really, really bad. Um, that's <laughs> illegal. And, and I see it a lot. So don't, don't do that. But you wouldn't um, know that until after. Might not. You can definitely yeah. ask questions. You can ask if they can electronically file. If they okay. can't, it doesn't mean they're a bad accountant. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's a, you might want to ask more questions. Um, 
if there there are legitimate reasons for not being able to e-file, but start with asking that. Okay. Um, and then, you know, going up from there, do you want somebody who's going to answer the phone? If that's not important to you, then fine. If that is important to you, you may expect to pay a little more money for someone who's always going to return all your calls and all your emails. I know it sounds obvious. It sounds like it should be basic, but accountants are really busy and you're going to pay a premium if you want somebody who's going to make say, you know, I'm only taking on X amount of clients here so that I have time to answer everybody's phone calls and everybody's emails mm-hmm. and get everybody's taxes back to them in a reasonable okay. amount of time. Um, so there's really a wide range out there and you just it's important to you. But I think the number one thing is that you are comfortable speaking with your accountant. And there are accountants at every budget range who are nice <laughs> and okay. you need to find somebody who you're comfortable asking questions with. If you have, if you don't want to call your accountant either because you don't speak their language, so it's hard to talk to them, or they make you feel stupid, or you know they just act super annoyed. That's that's a bad sign, in my opinion. Because okay. you need somebody who you're will, who you're going to be comfortable asking questions of before you do something. Stupid. Um, you just you know I want my clients to know I'd much much rather get a dozen stupid questions and and be able to say hey no problem you know that's fine rather than them forget to ask me one thing that actually is important, like they open a you know, company without asking me for okay. advice, or they join bank accounts with a spouse without asking me. I'd much rather have them ask me all these. So you, you need to communicate with your accountant uh, to understand what's, you know, how they want you to communicate, when they want you to communicate, how much. Um, some accountants will charge for, for questions throughout the year, and that might be okay as long as, you know, I think transparency is really important to so just understand how they do charge. Okay. But having a, a level where you are comfortable asking them questions is just so important to keep you from making expensive mistakes. Okay, so... I know that this might be a difficult question to answer, but what is an average price we can expect to pay for, let's say, a dual citizen or an expat living abroad? Yeah, I think it's really all over the board. Uh-huh. Um, it's really all over. And and I think the number one thing is don't compare prices with friends because you just don't know what they have. Um, I Sometimes I, I joke with my colleagues that most of our clients – most people that contact us either significantly underestimate how complicated their taxes are or significantly overestimate how complicated their taxes are. So it's really, don't assume that you you think your client, just because you think your situation is simple doesn't mean it is. And just because you uh-huh. think it's complicated doesn't mean it's unusual. Okay. So it is really hard to say. Um, to give people like a, you know, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> I would say like for somebody living in Israel, using a professional U.S. CPA in Israel, if they have, let's say, only one employer, one employer, their employee, they have no self-employment, no hobby income, no investments, nothing else, I think very average average might be something like um, 1,200 shekel. And uh, so I don't, maybe 350, 400, $450, something in that range might be very average. But again, if you're paying a lot more than that, there could be a lot of legitimate reasons for it, a lot. Okay. And that's without FBAR, that's without a lot of other things. Now, if you're using an international tax specialist in the US, you might actually expect to pay four times that amount. So my general advice is find an accountant in your country of residence uh, if you do live outside the US. Um, And not just because of the fees, because they're more likely to know what they're doing. If you're not, if you're using a US accountant, and you're not paying four times that amount, there's a good chance they, they're not an international expert and you really need to find someone in your country of residence. Okay. So if you are an expat, you should definitely look for someone who has experience in 
expat tax returns specifically to your country? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I think, you know, as much as I don't like, uh, I, I don't like <laughs> pinning down price quotes, um, right. and I, I hope that nobody <laughs> beats me up over that. No. Um, but I, I do want to warn people that uh, if you do have a lot of back taxes, you should expect to pay something similar to what you would have paid to do all those taxes on a timely basis. There are firms that might offer you a deal, but there's also firms that are going to charge a premium because there's a lot more communication with the IRS. So a lot of people come to me and they think like it's going to be chick-chuck to get all their taxes caught up and they're shocked by the fees. But we really are, you know, if you haven't filed tax in three years, we have to do three tax returns for you. And you're probably going to be paying for three tax returns. Okay. And if you are back back filing taxes, is that the right way to say it? Like doing old tax returns this year, right? Um, Are you still likely to get a refund? Yes, yes. It's actually the same statute of limitations. So you could file back to 2016 today and still get a refund. You are going to run out of time very soon to file back to 2016. So if you're behind, now's a really good time to call your accountant. Another thing um, where that is important for deadlines is social security numbers. Okay. If if you have U.S. citizen children or children who you haven't even registered as U.S. citizens, but, but the U.S. would consider to be automatic U.S. citizens because the parents are both U.S. citizens, okay. um, then you should really get them social security numbers as soon as possible. Even if you haven't filed your taxes, make sure you've, you actually have the social security numbers. And if you once you apply for the social security numbers, make a copy of whatever you send in. Write down the date when you applied and, and maybe put on your calendar to check in, check on it in a month or two. If you haven't gotten the social security number, they basically look at it as if you never filed. They are losing so many social security number applications and it's as if you never filed at all. And if you don't have the social security number by the due date of the tax return, Mm-hmm. You can't claim your children. So you're losing out on, you could be losing out on thousands of dollars in funds mm-hmm. if you, because you don't have a social have security numbers. number. Yeah. Is social security backed up right now because of coronavirus issues? <laughs> it was assume, way backed yes. up before. It yeah, was well. already backed up. Um, you know, a lot of my <laughs> clients were, were who, who were waiting for social security numbers. They were planning to go to the States in the spring and they were, and I said, oh yeah, you know, just go ahead and apply there because I hear if you apply in the States, it takes about two weeks. If you apply in Israel, it could take six weeks to like infinity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now other, other trips have been canceled. So right. You know, already Social Security was backed up. Already it's kind of a mess. I hope I'm not offending any of the hard, hardworking people there. But anecdotally, I'm, I've seen a lot of applications lost. No, um, you know, I think it's unfortunate. A lot of government agencies are just understaffed. And I don't think it's necessarily the issue with the agency itself. It's just there people are under, there's not enough staff and there's just so much work to go around. It's just not possible to get everything done in one day. Yes. If you are waiting for a social security number, it's really important that you make sure you apply for as many extensions as you can. And while I don't want to encourage people to wait to the last minute to to submit their tax information, um, you can, if somebody lives outside the U.S., they can technically, in most cases, get an extension until December 15th. So that's something that that a lot of uh, people don't know about. Even a lot of accountants who are in the U.S. don't realize that. So that's why it's a great idea if you do live abroad to have an accountant in your country of residence because they're going to do that automatically for most of their clients who haven't filed before. So that's so important if you are waiting for a social security number to make sure you get as many extensions as you can. Can you file and then amend the return? You can. Is that um, more complicated? You definitely can. It, um, or is it a solution, at least, if you can't get the social security number or for any are, other reason? 
Yeah, there are risks all around. I think it's uh-huh. it would be a good idea for people to speak with their accountant before okay. doing that. At some point, um, <laughs> I mean, I have a friend who actually wanted to get audited because he uh, he wanted to test something with the IRS, and he did that by amending his tax return many, 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 many times. So, um, <laughs> did he get did he get audited? He did he did uh, there was a whole court case? Um, okay. Yes. Yeah, so. You know, I don't want to say you're not gonna. There's no way to automatically get audited. Like, right. uh, it is a lot of work um, to amend okay. a tax return. So, uh, it's really, you really need to look at the risks and rewards with your accountant. But if you have certain international returns where there's these automatic ten thousand or twenty five thousand dollar penalties, yeah, you know, that's usually going to be the way to go. It depends on your situation. Uh-huh. How can you check if your accountant does the work correctly? Because I know, like, you know, you get the tax return and they're like, "Here you go, sign it." What are, what are some things we should look for when we get our tax returns back from our accountants yeah. to sort of check and make sure that, not that we think that our accountants are doing it wrong, just are, should we just Absolutely. sign it carte blanche? Like what should we do? Yeah. Um, so first of all, you know, going back to how to choose an accountant, I think speaking with your accountant when you're looking to find an accountant and then making sure you're on the same page as that could be a really you know, that's a really good idea. Okay. Um, so when you sign your tax return or, or specifically when you sign the authorization for your tax, for your accountant to file your tax return, if you read the fine print, it's saying that under penalty of perjury, you've reviewed your tax return. You are ultimately taking responsibility for that tax return. So, so it is, you know, you should at some point review it. Um, but it's also complicated, especially since 2018, they changed the format. It's like, okay. I actually, I have a background in graphic design and it's like really really, really painful. Um, so it, it is hard. It's like it used to be you could just add up all the numbers going down the first page and, you know, subtract numbers on the second page and you got to the bottom line. And now it's like, you know, add the number from schedule one and subtract the number from schedule two, you know, multiply by the schedule three times your weight on Mars. And it just, you know, it's, it's a little more difficult. Um, yeah. Right. So, so I mean, I feel like that's the reason yeah. I have an accountant yeah. just because I don't know how to do the yeah. numbers. So first of all, you know, you, you do need an accountant who you can trust, but right. you are also supposed to review it. Um, so I, I do uh, kind of insist that my clients at least open their tax return. And I try to make myself really available if they do want to go over it. You know, I'm not going to force them to look at every single line, but I'm right. happy to go over it with, with them and point out things that are of note uh, and help them understand it as, as, you know, on some basic level. It's important to me that my clients at least know what I'm telling the IRS. I don't want to be telling the IRS something about them that they don't realize that information is going to the IRS. Okay. Um, but it is a good question. It is, they, they have become much harder to read. Uh, and yeah, it can be, you know, it can be a lot of work. Um, right. say, um, you know, when you're this, the signature form, the authorization to electronically file, it's form 8879. Yeah. And a lot of people think that is the tax return. And I know this because <laughs> I asked them to send me their last tax return and they only send me that page, which means there are so many people out there who are never actually looking at their whole tax return, not even opening it. And they're only looking at the signature page. Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> uh, right. you, you should be at least skimming through it. Uh, if you find a mistake, talk to your accountant. If it hasn't been filed yet. Another thing, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll get potential clients who will come to me because they just figure they've been with the same accountant for a while and they want to mix things up and make sure that mistakes haven't been haven't been missed. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I think that you can get you know better service I, if you're staying with the same accountant a, a lot of times. I think it's great when your accountant can get to know you. I really like getting to know my clients, but if you have concerns, you can you can pay for another accountant to review 
your tax return. So your your personal. I'm sorry, account, you cut out. Can you say that again? Yeah. You can pay another accountant to yeah. audit your tax return. Yeah, you can. You can. Um, so you can pay for another account to look at it. Your original, your accountant doesn't need to know. Your personal accountant, they you know they don't need to know. They won't be offended. You can ask another accountant to review the whole thing. Um, so that that might be a good option if you are nervous about something. I'll say one thing that I do uh, if. For people who are either doing their own tax returns or using a using like their family accountant in the states, who probably isn't an international tax uh, specialist, I'll take a quick peek at their tax returns. Not a full audit; I can't be held responsible, but I'll take a quick peek, and I can usually point out some things that are pretty obvious that they're doing wrong. Oh, okay. So I'm willing to do that. <laughs> right, least. right. If you find a mistake uh, after the fact, is one like I actually had a mistake on one of my uh, tax returns, and my accountant fixed it. For free, and yeah. I felt like that was a good. She made good on a mistake that she made. Uh, it wasn't a huge mistake, and it didn't necessarily affect me in a bad way. But whatever, it it was a mistake nevertheless, and she totally fixed it for free. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like all accountants should do that? Is that something that some people should look for? That the accountant sure should stand so. behind their work. Yeah, I, I really do think so. I say one thing that comes up the most is you know I'll, I'll see someone who's been using their family accountant in the states and they have just messed up so, so badly. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and it, that's a tough call because, you know, on one hand, I want to say, well, you know, it's going to cost you more money. It's going to cost you more money to pay me to do it than you paid to do it right, it, wrong the first time. It's, it's much cheaper to do it right the first time. I said that all wrong. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it gets, it's a lot more expensive it. to fix mistakes. It's right. much more expensive to fix mistakes. Um, in some ways, it's better. I don't want to encourage people not to file, but sometimes it's much cleaner to have never filed at all than to have filed wrong. Uh-huh. Um, so for me to have fixed all those would have been very expensive for him. So I tried to help his original accountant do it. And it took a lot of going back and forth because they really didn't know what they were doing. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If your accountant makes a mistake, I think most accountants are, are willing to fix it. It is more work to fix a tax return. We can't electronically file. We have to write a whole explanation of why you know we messed up. But if, if the mistake has to do with uh, you forgetting to give your accountant information, then you, you might want to own up to no, that. It, it was a, it was yeah. a, it was a really simple mistake, actually, I think. Yeah. She attributed my social security hours like, oh, yes. to my husband by mistake. That. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And something also, you know, I've seen that and then I'll see the accountant will say, oh, it's not a big deal. And I think it is a big deal. It, it, I think yeah. a lot of times they they just don't want to deal with it, especially once they know that they've already lost the client. Uh, and yeah. That's yeah, a, she didn't lose me. So she easy. she totally owned up to it and she she took care of it and it was great. Yeah. And the only reason I noticed it in retrospect because I was trying to figure out, you know, uh, we were talking about growing my company and she's like, mm-hmm. well, you should do this if you have 40 hours or 40 quarters and you should do that if you don't. And we should look it up and we looked it up and I'm like, hey, how come I, it shows that I didn't work at all in 2016 right. when I totally worked in 2016. Like, uh-huh. So yeah, and that's yeah. something, that's one thing that, that people, even without understanding all the math can review. So if you have your own business, first of all, you start with the, the front page of your tax return at the top. You should be able to read your name. It should be all spelled perfectly. Your social security app number must be perfect. If you have children, their social security numbers must be perfect. Make sure the address is correct. Otherwise you might be missing out on, you know, getting checks back. Right. But then pay attention to who's first on the tax return and who's second. The person who's listed first is, is called the taxpayer, the primary taxpayer, and the second person is spouse. And then you need to make sure that anywhere that that's, that's noted, that it, it, 
batches. So if you are self-employed and your spouse, you need to look at your, it's called schedule C is the business where your business income would be. Make sure that the person's name who actually did the work is at the top. If both you and your spouse are doing work, you really do need to be keeping separate books because you want to, it's important that you're, um, both paying the right amounts into social security. You would actually be paying more in most cases if you put it all into one person's name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, does it make a difference who's considered the primary and who's considered the spouse? It doesn't make a difference, but from what I understand, it, it shouldn't change. Uh, I, oh, so every year it should be the same. Yeah, yeah it does need okay. to be the same. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and you're, I would say you know, um, the most likely, the most common times it gets messed up um, is when <laughs> it's very embarrassing for so many accounts, but when the wife is the the tag the primary taxpayer because uh, so many you know especially if there's a lot of staff working and it's just you know just the default they just assume the man is the primary taxpayer right. and they label things that way so pay special attention um, but usually whoever you know if if people get married and only one person was filing taxes and the other per- the other spouse wasn't so usually that person's going to be the primary and that stays uh-huh. for the rest of their life okay. Okay. You brought Good up something know. interesting um, yeah. with, with getting social security. Oh, let's talk about it. Security report. Yeah. So for people who live in Israel, that's something, I mean, excuse me, for people who live in the U.S., that's something yeah. very easy to do. You can log on to ssa.gov and create a login. For people that don't have a U.S. Uh, verifiable address, and that doesn't mean a U.S. mailing address, that means a U.S. address where you're getting credit card bills and cell phone bills and things like that, then you can get a report on paper. Um, so you have to actually... But you have to fill out a paper form, you mail it in. Um, but that is a really good thing to do once in a while. It's free. Um, so uh, I, I definitely encourage anybody, especially who's self-employed, I encourage people to do that. It's actually for people want to look it up. It's from SSA-7004. Um, I do it for free for my, any of my clients who want to because it's just so, you know, we don't do it every year. Right. Um, but you just mail it in and, and you'll get the report. And it says at the top, you have at least X number of credits. Right. Well, I'm good. I got my 40. Yeah. Good. good for you. <laughs> Can you actually, you know what? Can you actually explain the 40 quarters? Because I think yeah. a lot of people don't know what it is. And yes, it's, it's, yes. it's good for people to know that term. It is. So um, it's, it's, they're no longer really called quarters, but I, you know, I don't correct people if they want to call it quarters. We call them credits. Social security uh, in the U.S. is um, for anybody who worked in the U.S. or was employed by a U.S. person or a U.S. company. So most people who are living in the U.S. are going to be paying into Social Security if you're employed at all. Um, if you live abroad and you're self-employed, you are considered to be employed by a U.S. person yourself. Um, right if you're a U.S. citizen abroad. So you have to pay into Social Security. You're actually paying both the employer and employee portion. So it's double, and we call that self-employment tax. So you're getting credit into Social Security just like anybody who lives in the U.S. Uh, And that's actually the same with Canadian citizens who work in the U.S. So anybody who works in the U.S. is going to be getting credit into Social Security. In order to see any at all, you must have at least 40 credits. So if you retire and you have 39 credits and you never work another day, you don't get to see any of it. Once you Uh get to 40 credits, if you keep putting in, you can theoretically get more and more. There's a number of calculations if you live abroad that could that could reduce what you actually see on your report. But in general, at least 40 credits is important. And I often use this report to help my clients decide whether they want to stay self-employed or whether they want to try to incorporate or be an employee or, or things like this. So like a Got young it. person with seven credits, 
I personally, I don't think that's the best investment. I think for a lot of young people who don't have much credit, much credit into social security so far, I call social security a consolation prize for people that have to pay social security <laughs> anyway. Not the best investment strategy in my humble opinion, but I feel like expats should get more though, because we don't use Medicare. I know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things we miss out on. There's a lot. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it, you know, we should get a little bit more because we're not using from, we're only taking one, not from the other, right? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. It also feels more painful for expats because you're not paying regular income taxes. You, you generally just are exempt Security. or you have yeah. credits, right? So yeah. it feels a little more painful. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, oh, wait, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I just wanted to mention like uh, one, another question people have, if you give up U.S. citizenship, you can still get your social security. So if you give up citizenship and you have 40 quarters, you can still get it. You can give up citizenship and have 30 quarters and go back and work in the U.S. for a few years and get to 40 quarters. So just because you're not a citizen anymore doesn't mean you, you're giving that up. Um, okay. But if you are interested in giving up citizenship, you do have to be up to date on your taxes in the last five yeah, years. Yeah, that's like a whole other accountant. bag of worms, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it costs money to give up your citizenship. It's a, it's a, it, Either way, you have to get caught up, which is uh, not No, but there's like a, a processing fee. There, there is, yeah. Yeah. There's just, even before you are caught up on your taxes, you have to like first pay. I think it's like $2,500, right? I think that's, uh, it, something has changed recently. I haven't uh, okay. done it in a while, so I don't yeah. want to. Got it. Okay. All right. Numbers. It's yeah. not free. Let's just say that. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not a way to get out of having never filed taxes. You can't say, oh, let's just give it all up. Yeah, there's there's no easy way out. All right. Even when you die, God forbid, there's, your kids are going to have to deal with it. There's no way. <laughs> um, you're American for better or for worse, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's switch gears a little bit and talk about organization, my favorite topic. Yeah. What is the best way to organize your documents so that you can easily send things to your accountant? And as an aside, will your accountant ever give you a discount because you're super organized? <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, again, it depends on your accountant for sure. I mean, a lot of the really budget accountants are going to have very flat fees. Some of the more boutique firms, it's definitely going to depend. Um, but there are always benefits, as I'm sure you know, to being organized. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, it's number one, how you keep your documents. It's going to depend on a lot about where you live. So people in Israel, the Israeli system requires a lot of paper receipts. But for U.S. taxes, I don't you dare come in here with a shoebox of receipts. I don't want to see them. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you're only dealing with U.S. taxes, you can be scanning everything. Okay. Uh, speak with colleagues that are in the similar similar uh, field as you and get tips from them because they, they're likely to have really good tips on what, what apps they use to keep track of their expenses that really work industry specific. Okay. Um, one, like if people are already using Microsoft, they can use Office Lens is just a, a nice way of taking pictures of receipts. Okay. Um, but really, you know, keeping everything electronic, keeping everything um, lab named and labeled in a way that where things fall in order. So play with how you name things so that they fall in order. Play with your file structure so things stay really clear. Um, because one of the most painful things for most people, I think, about doing taxes, especially if you have a professional, is just finding the information. And then there's always a lot of guilt involved when you're disorganized, you know. And, and so that leads to people to, to procrastinate getting your things together. So right. it doesn't get any easier if you procrastinate. If anything, it's harder to find documents the, the older they are. Um, so I just want to interrupt for one second and say if you want to yeah. look up. If you want to um, know about naming practices for the best practices to name files, you can go back and listen to episode 112, Digital Clutter, and I go through exactly how to name files in like a really easy, clear way. So that's great. Yeah, that's sorry. Great. Go ahead. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, speak with your accountant about if they have a naming convention that they really want you to use right. or if they want all your documents at all. Um, so that, that I think one really good thing to know is what's relevant. Um, and not keeping things that aren't relevant is a really good way to stay a little more organized. Um, okay. So for example, charity receipts, you know, okay. If somebody's giving two, three, four hundred dollars a year, even like a couple thousand dollars, it's not relevant at all for me. Um, I'm, you know, if you want to send it to me, I figure someone might be offended if I say, if I tell them I don't want to know about their charity, so I don't say anything, but okay. I don't really need it. Um, I really don't need to know about the but charity. But you do need it in Israel. You do need it in Israel yeah. if you're paying. Yes, yeah. yes. So speak, it's really so individual. I'm right. not saying you don't need it in general. I'm saying speak with your accountant about how they want things and what they want. I don't do bookkeeping. Um, so, I don't want all the receipts. So speak with your accountant about you know, what they actually need. And then another thing a lot of people don't think about is actually look at your tax return when it's done and ask your accountant what was relevant. Because if childcare, let's say, so I'm going to ask most of my clients who have children under the age of 13 about their childcare expenses because there can be a credit. But if you if we, if I finish your tax return and I find that that childcare credit was not relevant to you, it didn't lower your taxes at all. I'm going to take that off. So that's one less document that you need to keep, uh-huh. not lowering your taxes. So I'm going to okay. completely take those forms off. And then that's one less thing the IRS can ever ask you about. You don't need to keep it. Um, you don't need to, you know, I, I met with somebody recently, lovely lady, who had printed out just about every single email her account never sent her. And that's one more thing that her children are going to actually eventually have to go through, you know, right. make she lived to 120. Right, right. Um, eventually someone's going to be cleaning out her things. And that is a lot to go through. I didn't want to go through it. I was trying to find a letter from the IRS and I didn't really need to through paper with every single now her account never sent her. So um, get in the habit at least if you want to print things, print the PDF because okay. you can search those. Right. Anything, right. you know, you can search PDFs. You can search at least the names of the PDFs, if not the actual PDF. So, you know, any receipts that you get through email, any receipts that you do online, print them to PDF. Try to reduce your paper as much as possible, I think. Amen. I'm yeah. down with that. Yeah. It's yeah. not so easy when you have an Israeli business, but. It's really not. It's really not. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm totally down with that. The less paper, the yeah. better. Absolutely. Um, okay. So what about like online systems to help organizing? Like, mm-hmm. so for example, here in Israel, I use a system called Green Invoice where I can upload yes. my expenses. I still need to save originals, but do you have any systems that you love for your <laughs> clients? I'm also using green for my business, but in Israel, we have to use something that is um, approved by the Israeli tax authorities exactly. so for people that aren't in Israel. They have a lot more options. Um, so, you know, anything from Excel to, I think you really need to figure out what works well for your, for the way you think and for the way you work. So if you're, if you're doing all your work outside the house, you don't want to have to sit down at the computer. You need something that has a really good interface on your phone okay. or, but I generally, I generally try to get away from paper and there are some great, you know, reasons to use paper and write things down. But when it comes to collecting money and and seeing expenses, even if you just have an Excel, at least you can add it up clearly and you can see within seconds, the total that you've earned and the total that you've spent. And being able to do that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Being able to do that is so important for your business. There's another tip I want to share for like real Excel newbies. And hopefully most of your clients will laugh at this, but there are a lot of newbies out there. When you put numbers into Excel or any spreadsheet, Google Sheets, whatever it is, put only the number. I've had clients send me things where they write out um, dollars or shekels within the field with the number. And when you do 
that it's a text field and you can't add it up. So when you have number uh -huh. fields, they need to be only numbers. Any other notes that you want to add should be in other cells, not in Got the it. field with the numbers. All your numbers should line up and then you can add them up very quickly. And another thing I like to tell people is even if you're not handy with Excel, somebody else, you know, you can always at least pay somebody to help you. So if you're if you're totally disorganized and you're not writing anything down at all, that's going to be a much bigger headache and a lot more work to get organized than if you're at least recording things, even if you don't know what to do with that information, start by just recording things. And then there's always going to be someone else who can help you actually deal with that data. Got it. Okay. Good to know. All right. Finally, Yosefa, I just want to quickly talk about how we can, uh, I know this is, you know, a little bit of a different twist, but how can we just keep ourselves financially solvent during this crisis, especially if we're not working? Yeah. Um, it is challenging for so many people. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, a real budget specialist and there are financial planners out there, but you know, and, and it's going to be very individual. Um, one thing I think, you know, a lot of people aren't thinking about as they're racing to buy toilet paper and, and you know, other things, <laughs> alpha gel is money. There's, you know, I, I think we may see a shortage of money. And if you wait until your bank account's at zero, you're going to have trouble getting a loan. And um, okay. you know, I don't want to encourage people to go into debt by any means, but if you have a budget and you know, you're going to be in debt on the course you're going into, you may want to see if you can get a loan before you're in a really bad situation. Um, I actually, yeah. So and I okay. say that personally. <laughs> so, That's good advice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think just in your own business, if you are self-employed, I think there's a lot of room to pivot and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to downsize people's um, you know, challenges. It, it is very challenging, but there are also a lot of opportunities right now um, for, for people who, you know, for people who are usually only working with people local, you know, mm -hmm. if you can pivot a little bit and you're, you're expanding your audience and your network by so much. Um, I, I'm in an entrepreneurs group and I'm in a couple other groups where, you know, we usually have only local meetings and now we can get guest speakers from anywhere in the world um, that we wouldn't have normally thought about when we were meeting in person. So there are right. opportunities. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, I, I think to remember that everybody, regardless of what people are going through, two people, three people can be going through the exact same thing and they find different parts of it challenging. So, you know, um, keeping the communication open with your partner and is, is probably <laughs> a good tip. <laughs> That's a good uh, tip. And, but, but budgeting, you know, being realistic, this, this could last a long time. So look at, yeah. look at what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely going to last a long time. Yeah. Um, any other tax related or financial related tips before we wrap up? Oh, I'm sure I will think of something as soon as we hang up. <laughs> I, uh, well, I can plug if, if, you know, for anybody living, for U.S. citizens living abroad, I post a lot of information on my Facebook page and okay. you'll share that in your show notes. Um, yes, I will. It's Yosefa uh, Huber, Y-O-S-E-F-A, Huber, H-U-B as in boy, E-R. Um, so I'll, <laughs> whatever I think of, I'll post it there. Excellent. Yosefa, tell everybody how they can reach you. And so besides my Facebook page, I also have a website, hubertaxcpa.com. It's H-U-B as in boy, E-R-C-P-A as in certified public accountant, dot com, uh, tax, excuse me, um, hubertaxcpa, H-U-B as in boy, E-R-taxcpa.com. And all my other contact information is there. I also have Excellent. a blog where I, I post information. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today, Yosefa. If you have any questions for me or Yosefa, as always, you can either reach out directly to Yosefa or you can reach out to me, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H at RebeccaSaltzman.com. And I will pass anything on to Yosefa that you would like. I know that things are a little bit crazy. I just want to remind everybody, please don't hoard. Hoarding is not good for anybody. It's not good for you. It's not good for other people. Uh, and in these times where, you know, it feels like that's the right thing to do. It's not. Be confident that we will always have everything we need. The governments have assured us right now that we will not run out of food. Uh, there is enough for everybody. So let's treat everything as if there's enough for everybody because that's the truth. Um, please stay healthy. Please uh, do your best to declutter and get ready for Pesach now. If you need help getting ready for Pesach, please reach out to me. Uh, I'm happy to help you. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody. If anybody has any questions, again, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm here for you. And in this case, Yosefa is also here to answer questions. Uh, and we will do our best to answer all the emails that we get. For now, I'm wishing everybody good health and a great week and happy organizing. Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at BalaGonBegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit BalaGonBegon.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.